Tony, thank you very much indeed for uh, doing this little interview. Um, I wanted to ask you something which I guess kind of maybe pertains particularly to Confederates in the Attic, your book, and, and uh, the South, and um, particularly a large part of that is about reenactment. But you're obviously working on a, a new book about the South as well. Um, so I'll be interested maybe to, to ask you a bit about where that is going, whether that's similar to what you've done in the past. But um, you've written a lot about the, the and experienced, in fact, in a ditch, I think at one point, uh, the work of the Civil War reenactors, and or they call themselves living historians, yes, don't they? Please. Yes, sorry. And how, however hardcore they might be, uh, do you think that reenactment is a form of commemoration? Uh, yes, I would say it's a, a somewhat eccentric uh, <laughs> a form of play acting. Um, I mean, I think different people approach it uh, in different ways, but a, a number of them are very reverential. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, about what they're doing. Um, often they're portraying specific soldiers, uh, family members if they have them. If mm-hmm. not, uh, sometimes they just pick a soldier from a unit and research that person so they feel they're they're honoring um, that person. And also they feel they're educating the public, which I guess is a role of commemoration. Um, and as you mentioned, they call themselves uh, living historians, as if by uh, definition other historians are <laughs> dead, um, writing dry monographs for each other while they're out doing the hard work of history and sharing it with the public. So, yeah, I, I'd call it a, a sort of pageantry form of mm. commemoration. And it's, it's deeply emotional, isn't it? Because, I mean, there's an extraordinary moment in your book where you, you describe taking part in one of those, a charge. I think it's a Gettysburg uh, there. Um, and uh, the way, I mean, the way you describe it is, is brilliant. It, it, it really is, feels like there's a tremendous involvement from you, even though you're not a t- you know, typical reenactor. There's a, even there's an audience of people who are visiting the park, I think, yeah. at the time. And, and they all feel, they talk about, they talk about period rush, a kind mm-hmm. of rush that you get through actually experiencing the, the uh, kind of reenactment itself. So is it, it, therefore, in some way, kind of putting them in touch with the past mm-hmm. in a way that I guess other forms of commemoration just can't do? Yeah, I think uh, some of them approach it in quite a mystical way. It's right. uh, it's really a form of time travel, or that's what you're trying to achieve, this period rush, which means you you feel as if you're really there in the 1860s. And it can be kind of laughable because, mm. of course, you're not there. Real bullets aren't flying. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, I had moments when, you know, the artillery is pounding or the light and the conditions were just right. Not actually, not usually a battle. A lot of it is camp life and marching. And in a way, you can do that more real, realistically. Mm. I found the battles, uh, you know, a little silly, having unfortunately seen real ones as a war correspondent. Mm. I, I had, uh, I, I couldn't um, uh, get over that hump. But uh, in other moments, just uh, feeling just even the heat and the discomfort. Um, so absolutely, it is a way of uh, reconnecting with the past. But it's really interesting you mentioned that the kind of more, I don't know, sort of domestic life and the camps mm-hmm. and things, that in itself should be commemorated, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, and repeated, mm-hmm. In despite the fact we think about the battles as being kind of the major part of, of kind of reenactment, I suppose, the way that things, an audience sees it. Anyway. Yeah, I think the biggest trend in reenacting uh, mm-hmm. over the last, you know, 20 years or so has been the move towards what they call civilian. Uh, reenacting and part of it is to be more inclusive so there are many more women now at reenactments there's been a fight about whether they can be soldiers Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, that was resisted for a long time Uh, but certainly in civilian roles and children as well and it it becomes almost like a theme camping trip and everybody has a a part to play Um, so and and also just simply recognizing groups that we didn't Uh, obviously there are many more African-American reenactors than than there were uh, going back in the day 
Um, so I think it's just a, a way to broaden the constituency as well. Mm. How do the so how do African Americans get involved? I mean, what is their attitude to reenacting those kind of battles or kind of camp life? I think it was uh, uh, largely driven by the movie Glory, yeah. which came out about 1990, somewhere in there, uh, about the 54th Massachusetts uh, famous black unit in the war, and uh, really they uh, formed their own units. Uh, often the 54th Mass, uh, there are a lot of 54th Masses out there. There were other units. Um, and they tend to um, go to battles where uh, blacks participated in large numbers. Um, and so uh, they're always playing union. I mean, you do see a few black Confederates. Mm. Uh, I don't know if we want to go there. But, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, and from what I saw, well accepted and um, uh, integrated into the, the general um, uh, reenactment. So, uh uh, I think it's been a really interesting moment of, of blacks reconnecting with their war experience and also the public. I really think the public mm-hmm. was hugely ignorant that there were you know, more than 200,000 uh, blacks fighting on the northern side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the things I'm just going back to the idea we were discussing earlier in, the, in our discussion about the Confederate, we didn't really talk about the flag so much, actually, but sort of monuments. Um, I think well, something you said a couple, maybe a couple of years ago about when the Confederate flag discussions maybe really got started. You were talking about how the current debate over it reveals, I think you said, a broader pent-up desire to liberate the South from a mythic and burdensome narrative that misrepresents the region as a whole, which is a really interesting idea because that's not the way people generally think about the South. But we were maybe talking earlier about the kind of um, the way in which there's a large number of Hispanic people and, and African-Americans moving into different parts of the South perhaps they hadn't lived in before. But do you think that is, is the lost cause, this idea, or other post-war myths, is this still as prominent as it was? Is it something you think you seem to think it seems to be is going to go? I think it's still prominent. I think it's it's waning uh, simply mm. uh, largely through age. Uh, it's it's generational and and yes, demographic change in the South. So that uh, if you go back, you know, roughly thirty years, uh, you probably had a, a majority of white Southerners who had an actual family tie to this war. Uh, they might live in the same town where their great grandpappy who fought in the war lived. You know, his grave is down the street. Um, that just simply isn't true of uh, as many Southerners now. And I think, yeah, there's a kind of weariness with it is bizarre, quite aside from glorifying the Confederacy, that you've sort of channeled all of Southern history, which depending where you want to start, if you want to start with Native American history, it goes back many thousands of years, but uh, but the European experience certainly 300, uh, and, you know, somehow it's all been telescoped into these this four years, um, and also so defined Southern identity, and I think there's, like, there are other things we can celebrate, there are other things about being Southern, uh, our music, our cuisine, uh, things that are more inter- interracial, um, and it's problematic because it has been such a defining element of how people see the South, that it, it leaves a little bit of a hollowness if the, you know, what, what does does it mean to be a Southerner now? And uh, maybe it doesn't mean much anymore, which uh, part of what Southerners have always prided themselves are on is that, you know, uh, Northeast, West are, are just directions. They, they don't, they don't, you know, connote identity. And that's true. And it's part of why myself and so many others are attracted to the South. It's the part of the country that feels most different, that has a uh, most character. Um, so it's going to be a struggle, I think, to um, not uh, be sucked into the kind of commercial blandness of the rest of the country, <laughs> but uh, still preferable to this, 
you know, uh, defining being Southern in this very narrow way. Mm. So we just had the sesquicentennial commemorations. Um, do you think that that had an effect on the way that we remember, inverted commas, I suppose, or interpret the Civil War? Can you see any attempts to, which is a slightly different question, memorialize or, or commemorate uh, Reconstruction mm-hmm. uh, in a similar kind of way? Or is that just a period mm-hmm. that people still aren't really very sure about? I think outside of um, the scholarly community and, and museums and uh, people really care about this, the sesquicentennial was kind of a non-event, mm. uh, unlike the uh, centennial, which uh, had a huge impact on the public. And I, I was you know, a child at the time, and mm. the, the toys, the books, mm. it, you know, I think it drew a lot of people to the war. I think it was much more muted this time, and, uh, and as it should be, much more about race and slavery. Um, so it was less of a, certainly not a celebration, it was more of a, a remembrance. So I think there'll be some good um, scholarly work that's come out of it, but in terms of um, the broader public, no. Uh, I would say Reconstruction is certainly getting much more attention at the academic level, and and people understanding that uh, the lost cause itself was more reaction to Reconstruction in mm-hmm. a way than it was to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. It, you know, as we know, it's a very complicated story, Reconstruction. It's a lot less dramatic than a war. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, just slim signs of museums and other things uh, doing more with it. But at, at the popular level, I think, again, it's mm-hmm. still kind of in the background. But it's been interesting that it, some reputations of people, particularly Grant, mm-hmm. uh, during the Reconstruction period, it kind of have been rising, particularly mm-hmm. with, you know, recent biographies. Right. Uh, and that seems to, so maybe that's a way in which if you can hang it on a particular person that mm-hmm. people know about, but then revise mm-hmm. their identity, revise the way that people think about them, maybe that's a way of kind of getting into the period as a whole. Yeah, there's been a, a recent uh, door-stopping biography on Grant, uh, who, you know, a uh, very mixed history in Reconstruction, but uh, sort of a reappraisal and and looking at that so i think certainly again at the at the academic level it's mm. it's happening but uh, uh i think it'll take a while and as you say you have to find a way into that story um because reconstruction itself is so kind of complicated and murky and uh it, it's not really a narrative or not a clean narrative uh can't imagine a movie really i mean <laughs> gone with the wind is largely yeah. about reconstruction from obviously a very uh southern point of view. So I think it's absolutely necessary. And a lot of those stories are coming out about some of the positive things that happened during Reconstruction that people have simply never knew or forgotten about. But I, I think it'll take take time. Okay, well, well, that's wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you.